Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. And as we uh, go through chapter 8, we look back at chapter 7. And, and again, Luke's writings were extremely diverse. Uh, Luke really covers a lot of grounds. And, and as I've mentioned before, he always uh, liked to cover a lot of the healing aspects of our Lord and Savior because Luke was a physician. So I'm sure he was very fascinated with the Lord's ability to, to heal people of sicknesses by uh, not even administering a form of medication, not even uh, having to perform an operation. But he was able just to speak a word and, or touch someone and they were healed of some sort of sickness. And the Lord again was just is just so amazing you know as we look in the gospels and and I'm so pleased again to be able to once again just to kind of teach through the gospels here to to not just to see our lord's abilities and his heart but also to hear his words and the things he taught because we look at what in chapter 7 we see in his heart as he was healing the sick but he was also raising the dead raising the dead of of a of a widow's son who basically was was husbandless, but only had a son, and now he was dead. So she was all by herself. And Jesus, being at the right place at the right time, happened to be right there on the street when they were carrying his body during a funeral service. Well, Jesus seen the heart of this woman and the hurt. And he came up and he spoke to this young man and he rose from the dead. And everybody, of course, by rights, flipped out. But I tell you, he did it because <laughs> he did it because of his heart for this woman. He 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 did it because he knew everything that she was thinking and going through. Yes, he wanted to reveal who he was. There was also times where he told many other people not to say anything about it. So he did it for a reason. He did it for a reason for this for this woman who was in such excruciating pain. And then we see how, again, the Lord also ministered to John the Baptist through his through John the Baptist's followers, as John the Baptist was in prison. And John the Baptist was at, at his absolute lowest, of course, because who's going to be uh, uh, having good times in prison? But you know, I think John the Baptist also knew what was coming to him. And so, the followers of John the Baptist were able to see Jesus performing miracles as Jesus was able to tell them to go ahead and tell him that, that I am who I am, who I say I am, and the things that I've been able to do to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cause the blind to see. And, and, and that was that word of confirmation that they were able to witness his doings. And so by that, John the Baptist was able to go in peace. And then last we see uh, Luke had written down a sinful woman who was forgiven for her sins and forgiven by an act of worship, by an act of service, by washing the feet of our Lord with her tears and with her hair. Okay, And, and what's interesting about this uh, story is that this woman was a sinful woman who had a reputation. And so she's seen Jesus go into this house as a guest well, she just happened to barge her way in there, it looked like, and, and started to wash his feet for him, which was the act of a house slave. Normally people had, if they had a slave of the house, the, the, the slave would normally wash the feet of somebody who came from the outside in. Well, this lady was not a part of this official's house. But she made her way in there and made sure that she made known 
that she was there to worship him and was looking for redemption. You know, she never even spoke a word. She never spoke a word about uh, about anything. She didn't ask for forgiveness. But you see, the Lord, he knows the hearts and the minds of all people. He knew the heart and mind of this lady. And he was able to basically uh, to see... To see the the, uh, the repentance in her heart by what she was doing. In fact, he was so impressed by it, but he even looked at his own disciples, such as Peter, and says, look what she's doing here. No one here washed my feet. No one here did any such thing, which was, again, a normal act of a house slave. Very common. But even he used her as the example. So, we're going to see in chapter 8 here, we're going to see again the diverse writings here. How many women, uh, how, how women were continuing to minister to the Lord. Uh, we're going to also see the parabolic teaching again come into play, which I'm excited about because I've always been a fan of the Lord's parables, and He's spoken parables to to give an understanding to, to certain things. He gave so many examples, and why He did that was because He was able to bring things to life to to His viewers, to His audience. And he used so many different examples of backgrounds so that way they could understand what it was he was talking about. So let's go ahead and jump into Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to start off in verse 1 through 3, which says, Now it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, one Mary called Magdalene, out of whom he had come seven demons in her, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So what we see here is we see, you know, Jesus, he traveled throughout all the villages around the Galilean area of Israel. And this time he had the twelve disciples as well, and a few female followers with him. And the, the earlier chapters, it showed that Jesus went through the area alone uh, first, before the choosing of the twelve. See, he already hit this area by himself, before he chose the twelve. But what was interesting was, that, again, the extra company that was with him in these few women. Why? Because this was unheard of. Uh, completely unorthodox amongst orthodox Jews. And women, see, women were not to learn from rabbis, at least on a disciple level, outside of a synagogue. We see the love and respect that our Lord had for women in a society that actually disregarded women. But, you know, Luke gives a glimpse at, at a few of the behind-the-scenes servants. It's, it's interesting to see how some arrive as servants. And you, you have Mary Magdalene, whose first encounter with Christ was a uh, as a demon-possessed woman. And, and not just by one, but she was actually possessed with seven demons. And uh, my pastor that I grew up with, my old pastor, um, uh, told a story about a trip that was uh, taken to China with him and other pastors. As they were there, there was a police officer that found them at this um, at something they were doing, and he asked if there was any pastors or priests or anybody that could help because there was a demon-possessed woman in a crowd. And so the group had followed the police officer, and behold, there was a a woman there. Uh, and my pastor said she was small in stature; she was probably uh, five feet tall, if I remember correctly, and and maybe a hundred pounds. And 
one pastor, the other pastor came, tried to approach her, and he came, my pastor came from behind her and grabbed hold of her, and she flung him around like a, uh, like a rag doll, if you will. And my pastor is not a, he's not a small guy. Uh, in fact, he's also a, a grandmaster of kung fu and sansu martial arts. And, and so the power of this woman who was possessed by this one demon, again, is not something to be taken lightly. And here we have Mary. I don't know what the difference would be, but I mean, we know that one is, one is enough, but more has got to be more tormenting. And here we have Mary who was encountered by the Lord and after he had cast out these demons, probably by just one simple word, get out of her, was a devout follower. And then we have Joanna, who was the wife of Chusa. This was Herod's steward, it said. Uh, she was a, a woman of political power who was associated with Herod at some point. And two women of complete different backgrounds brought together in the same purpose of serving and being with Christ. Now, I've said it before, and I'll continue to repeat it, but every sheepfold may be different. But when Christ enters the sheepfold, he brings everything and everyone together. Uh, but the Lord, you know, he changed the groundwork here. He changed the groundwork by bringing women along and even was provided by them. You know, the Lord has been such a, an example toward women. And in return, some of them have been quite the example of what a follower of Christ should look like. You know, these women were devout supporters of the Lord's work. And our Lord was a humble example to allow them to be a part of what was going on. As this would never... Uh, be allowed by other rabbis and they obviously seen the difference between Jesus and other rabbis as they owed a debt of gratitude uh, they were just a, a few that Christ did this for but they were the only few that would follow and serve as other people probably went on their way after they got what they needed or wanted uh, right? Very common what people do. We'll show up and get what we want or need, and then we'll go on our merry way and never see them again. Well, these women were a different story. They were devout. They were chosen and anointed. And let's continue here in verse, uh, verses 4 through 10. We're going to start getting into uh, some of the parabolic teaching of our Lord now. And it says, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it came, it sprang up, it withered away because it, it, it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up, and it choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded it a crop of hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears, let him hear. And then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing that they may not see, and hearing that they might, may not understand. You know, I mentioned before about Jesus teaching in parables. It was it was adding stories alongside the teaching. It, it gave understanding to the hearers. But in this case, he's using a parable of a seed sower. So if there were farmers in the crowd, well, their attention is now uh, being paid a little closer to his words. Uh, but many, uh, but many could relate. As more people grew things then, more than they do now, everybody was probably growing their own food, so I think people could relate a little easier. 
But parables, they caused people to listen and then to discover that truth for themselves. Granted, they don't run into their own direction with it versus the direction Christ was pointing, but I am a personal fan of parabolic teaching. I was told that I speak in parables at times from others, and I say that, well, I get that from my father, and my father, the Lord Jesus. But it all comes together as this happens. See, farmers would throw seed is there wasn't there wasn't equipment to lay it down uh, more uniform they, they would throw it by hand and naturally some would scatter and especially uh, some on a windy day but he, he spoke of four directions wayside which would be where where people walked uh, rocks where soil was covered by stone and could not grow through thorns which grew on some plants but it served no good uh, no good purpose here and last but not least, he used uh, the good soil, right? The, the, which the ground uh, where crops grew. Uh, the parables used in all the examples led to our lives here, in our spiritual walk with the Lord. You know, we ourselves, our families, our churches, uh, those things dearest to us. If we plant seeds and water it, something will grow. Uh, but the grounding must be uh, must be healthy. And at times, some don't grow, but you continue to plant, you continue to water, and it is the Lord which causes it to grow. But the preparations must be done accordingly. And the same goes in our lives if we're planting ourselves on God-made soil. Then growth will be overabundant. You know, witness places, okay, households, churches that have not done or planted according to the Lord's instruction. And you will see the thorns, the thorns in the side of those who planted where they wanted to plant. So may we pay close attention to our Lord's words as he starts to continue to expose a little more here. In verses 11 through 15, he continues to speak of it. It says, now the parable of this, the good seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and then time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with, with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. The seed is the word of God. And he himself has said that the heavens and the earth will pass away, but the word of God will not. His word will never change, never fail or never fade. But what we do with that seed is what the difference maker is. The word of God is our foundation. The seed that sprouts everything up. Uh, Jesus primarily was to expose the word and teach it as the beginning of John's gospel states. In In the beginning was the word. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Uh, But as always, he displayed all other gifts, the healing, the prophesying, uh, numerous miracles throughout the word of God. But Jesus explained the categories. Uh, Those of the wayside, those who may have heard it, but never understood it. Because of the wayside, they were easy pickings for the devil to come and teach false doctrines. And we've seen that in the earlier chapters of Luke. You know, Satan himself showed up to tempt Jesus to worship him. And he and, and 
Satan did it with skewed theology. But Christ beat him with true theology of the word of God. And the ones on the rocks that he spoke about were the ones who came out of the gate strong, but they ended up dying off quickly. Uh, like a true, like a tree that uh, grew quickly but blew right over at the first windstorm because it never established a strong root system. And we have some who fell amongst the thorns which choked them out. And that could be like the ones who maybe caused some to walk away from the faith. Uh, many claim to be of Christ but you know, still concern themselves with the things of this world. And now the word of God and things of God have withered away. And last but far from least, the ones who planted on fertile soil. And perhaps the best example are those who followed Jesus no matter the cost. You know, I, I can't tell you enough the richness and blessings of those who uh, teach the Bible and teach it for what it's saying. You know, the world doesn't need more life coaches or, or self-help seminars. There, there's more than enough uh, relational theology, which is a focus on what can I get out of God's word for me to pump me up and, and pump me up only. Uh, going on to, That's going on everywhere so far. But Jesus gave all these examples to show in his parable. I've firsthand witnessed all four categories over the years. And it's easy to know what a straight line looks like when you have been uh, when you've been exposed to crooked lines. <laughs> so when you never planted on good soil, you could only know what the others might look like after a while. And in verse 19 to 21, then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told uh, him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mothers and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. And that's where we're stopping right here, as we are uh, covering uh, just half of chapter 8 of Luke. And we're going to stop here at verse 21. Because the, the Lord was preaching there. And there were so many that his, his own family, you know, mothers and brothers, couldn't even get to him. So we see that he was attracting quite a crowd. And may that still happen today, that the words and teaching of Christ will draw people near to him. You know, the Lord could have pushed people aside and ignored, uh, ignored what he was doing, but he made a statement on who he was and what those there were to him. Those who hear and do the word of God are my mother and my brothers. Now, in the reality of his existence, he was divine and brought to the world for a purpose, which was to die for the sins of this world. Christ himself said, I have come that you may have life, found in John chapter 10, verse 10. Was he insensitive to his mother on earth? Absolutely not. Uh, that would be impossible. <laughs> he was the perfect child. Uh, and he made sure that she was cared for when his time was up on earth. We know that in the Gospel of John. He made a statement that his family were those who were seeking God's word and who were obedient to it. Uh, when he started his ministry, he had three years before his time on the cross. Yet in that three years, he did more than most that I ever know uh, who've served in ministry for 40 to 50 years. And during his time of teaching, preaching, and healing, fellowshipping and exhorting, uh, forgiving people of sins, right there on the spot, you know, it was uh, the king, you know, 
the kingdom was of countless amounts of people. He was offering a spot in his family to, to countless amounts of people. And when we pray and engage in God's word, we grow closer to him. And when we do what his word says, he will draw near to us as well. Again, he offers an intimate family relationship with him. And the opportunity to have that is right now, if you feel led to receive him. You know, you may think that God doesn't want me after everything I've done. Well, actually he does. You know, he he loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Whether you were the ultimate sinner, or whether you were pretty good throughout life, see, all of heaven rejoices just the same when someone receives the Lord. Don't matter what you've done. Don't matter whether you were pretty harmless throughout your life or whether you terrorized the uh, the town you lived in. All of heaven rejoiced because somebody received the Lord. Well, I'm sure many probably in the back of their mind might think, well, if I received if I received the Lord, you know, what can I get out of this, you know? Well, as of uh things on earth, I really couldn't tell you. But what I can tell you is what you will receive is is eternal life in heaven with him if you do receive him in truth. Which in the end is the greatest gift possible. And what else could we really want? But we see, you know, Luke was very clear on what the Lord did for those here on earth. He provided for those on earth, whatever the case may be. He fed 5,000 people. He healed sick people that were in need. He fellowshiped with with people that nobody else would want to hang out with, tax collectors and whatever have you. And and, uh, he, he was, again, just the greatest example that we could have ever seen or had. No one was like him. Nobody is like him because he's alive and well today. The ability to talk to him is within a given second. No long-distance calls. Just simply a closing of your eyes and a bowing of your head. And see, he wants to hear from you. But he wants to receive you as well first. He wants to receive you as one of his. And whatever comes from there, well, that's his surprise to you. We don't know what he has in store for us. He allows us to go through things in life. But you know what? We're going to go through things regardless if we're saved or not. Why not have someone with you who has control of your soul? Who has control of your destiny? Why wouldn't we want to follow someone who loves us more than anyone else on this earth ever could? I want to invite you. I want to invite you to get to know him and to receive him now. And that's simple, through a prayer of acceptance and repentance. As the Bible says, we cannot enter the kingdom unless we've been born again. And what does it mean to be born again? It means to be born again of the Spirit through Christ Jesus who died on the cross for us. So if you want to receive him now, say this prayer with me. Dear God, please forgive me. Please forgive me of all of my sins. 
I confess to you that I am a sinner, and I ask of you to wash me of all of my sins. And Father, I thank you for having me. And Lord, may I follow you always. May you receive me when my time comes, Lord, into your kingdom, as I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, and my Father, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, the joy is always mine to be doing what I'm doing for the Lord, the teaching and preaching of his word. And more importantly as well, to be praying for all of you. So please, feel free to to send in your prayer requests. And continue to pray for me as well. That That the Lord would allow me the strength. That he would bless my family. Bless the work that's being done that will allow me to continue. It's only through Him. Only He can give us that power and that ability and and, and give us the ability to keep us. So I pray you've received Him and I pray that you will continue to walk with Him because let's face it, He loves you. And He wants to be with you always. So may we return the favor and may we always want to be with Him. May the journey start now. God bless you.